0: Thank you. Okay, welcome to Fieldstone, everybody. Good to see everybody here. My name is Justin. If we haven't met, I'm the lead pastor here at Fieldstone. And you are here for week two of a series called Parenting in the 21st Century, because I don't know if you realize this or not. I don't know if you've been paying attention. It's kind of a difficult situation out in the world right now. Things are a little bit weird and there's people raising kids in this craziness. So we thought, all right, let's address this head on. But like we talked about last week, the reality is some of you have raised, you're raising Gen Z kids. We got Gen C coming up right behind them. Some of you have raised millennials. Some of you raised Gen Xers. I don't think there's anybody here who raised any boomers. We might have some boomers in the room. If you raise some boomers, then God bless you. Uh, but what we, what we talked about last week is that uh, it's been difficult to raise kids in every generation. And so, and so this series isn't designed to really hit every specific issue that parents are facing now or future situations that, that, that parents might face with their kids because it's impossible to highlight all of them or even foresee all the ones that are coming down the pike. What we do know is that when it comes to parenting, and this is our overarching big truth for the whole series. When it comes to parenting, you can read the books, and you really should, because you got a young baby, you want to learn what that's about. What's the sleep schedule? What's the feeding schedule? Uh, what, what does this look like in the terrible twos and threes? What does middle school look like? How do we have the talk? Right? All these difficult things. You can find resources, talk to people, get mentors, read books, whatever it is. But when it really comes down to it, if you're trying to raise your kids to follow Jesus, to raise them in the midst of a very difficult world, then the best way to be the best parent that you can be is to follow Jesus as consistently and fervently as you possibly can. That is the number one thing. Because if you are trying to be more like Christ, if you are Christ-like, then your wisdom is going to be Christ-like, and your decision-making is going to be Christ-like. The way you treat your spouse is going to be Christ-like. The way you parent will be Christ-like. And I like our chances. If we want our kids to be Christ-like, then we need to be Christ-like. Right? It's, it's not a perfect formula for success, but if that's the road that we're following, then our kids are going to come up behind us. And so that's what we hit last week. Uh, I want you to know we're, uh, we're going to dive in again today, but week four of this series, Joe and I are going to be up here and just do some Q&A. And so if you have questions about parenting, if you have questions about grandparenting, if you have questions about how to take these principles, because admittedly, we're using parent-child language in this series, right? But what we're hoping is that you can take some of these principles that we're applying in the family setting and apply them to another context. Because some of you, you don't have kids. Some of you don't want kids. Some of you haven't been able to have kids. Some of you are at a season of life where you're done raising kids, and now your kids have kids. And some of you, your kids' kids have kids. And so we're all in different contexts. So if you want to take some of this and apply it, to reaching a neighbor or a coworker or some other relative, a niece or a nephew. Uh, we think you can take these principles and put them into your context. So if you have questions about any of that, we'd love for you to take a card. You've got one near your seat or on your seat. Uh, we've got some at the info center table as well. Just throw a question down there, put it at the black box as you walk out of the room, uh, and we'll bring these questions back up in a couple weeks just to address some of the specific uh, questions that you might have. But today, we need to talk about the difference between what's ideal and what's real, right? There's a difference out there. There's, there's what's ideal in life, in our families, in our marriages, in raising our kids. What's the ideal situation, but what's the real that all of us live? Because there's a difference. Now, sometimes things do turn out the way you want, right? The pregnancy is healthy. You get the job you were looking for. You get into the school you're trying to get. You get the lunch hour with all your friends, right? Sometimes your ideal situation plays out or close to it, but sometimes... It doesn't. Maybe more often than not, it doesn't. And I can even go back to middle school when I learned this. I was playing football for the first time in seventh grade. And what does every kid dream of? You want to be the quarterback? I wanted to be the quarterback, and I wanted to be number 12. I don't even remember why I wanted to be number 12. But I got there, seventh grade, I was not the quarterback. I was on the kickoff team, and I wasn't number 12. I was number 22 at home and number 47 on the road. Nobody grows up dreaming of being two different numbers that's just not how it works. And so sometimes things don't work out. Now, those are, that's a kid example, but sometimes the difference between our ideal and our real is a little bit more serious. It's a little bit more grown up. Here, here's some uh, pretty interesting statistics on life out here in the world, especially when it comes to life within a family. So this first one, some of you might relate to this one. Did you know that 35 to 40% of people will get fired at least once in their life? Anybody uh, want to admit to being fired out there? <laughs> oh, I think we maybe got to 35% with that. I think. Thanks for admitting that. I know those were the weakest hand raises I've ever seen. It's like, but no, you're in good company. 35. Nobody takes a job assuming they're going to get fired, and yet four out of ten, you're gonna you're gonna get there at some point, right? Um, the most popular future career a young, among young boys is professional athlete. Gentlemen, anybody make it? Anybody get there? I didn't get there. We didn't get there. And yet we all grew up thinking, I'm going to play baseball, I'm going to play basketball. It doesn't happen for us, right? Um, how about you academians? Only 3.4% of applications to Harvard get accepted. 3.4%. Anybody get there? No, I didn't. Okay, I didn't. No professional athletes, no geniuses in the room. Okay, good to know. We're somewhere in between. Hitting the bell curve here today on Halloween. (laughs) All right, how about a little bit more serious? This stat probably won't surprise you. Uh, Between 40 and 50% of marriages end in divorce. Nobody says their vows thinking they're going to get divorced, right? And yet, man, in some ways it feels like a coin flip these days. 10% of Americans struggle with drug addiction at some point in their life. One out of 10, right? Nobody grows up, nobody's in Little League going, at some point, I'm going to become addicted to some type of illegal substance. I think that's in my future. No, nobody thinks that, and yet 10%. The the ideal is sometimes very different what happens in real life. Around 40% of adults will have some type of mental health crisis at some point in their life, 40%. This is, a, this is a big one. This one blew me away. I didn't realize it was this high, but 20% of pregnancies end in grief. 20%. That's unbelievable. 11 to 12% of kids have some type of a special need, and that impacts 20% of American households. And there are 400,000 children in foster care in America. 13,000 in Michigan alone. And so ideal, right? We have these dreams for how life is going to look, how our families are going to look, how my career is going to play out, how, how my kids are going to be raised, what they're going to be like, and what they'll get into. The best case scenario, that's the ideal. And then we have the real, and that's how it actually plays out. How my marriage actually goes, how my kids actually turn out, how the job actually goes. And in most of our lives, there is a significant gap between the ideal and the ideal and the real. And I think this tension is never more relevant than when we talk about raising kids. We, we all have our ideal, and we all know what's real in our lives and in our families. And so the question today becomes, how do we navigate that space between what's real and what's ideal? And we'll come back to the parent stuff in a second. But first, uh, where we need to start today is looking at thankfully, the example that Jesus gives us on how to answer that question. How does he navigate that space between what's ideal and what's real? And so we're going to start, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1. I'm reading the whole chapter, and usually we'll put the verses on the screen but I didn't feel like copying and pasting 23 verses into PowerPoint, and so you just get the reference today, and so you can pull it up on your phone app. You can open it up in your Bible. We're going to read Ephesians 1, and it's the whole chapter, and and I'm reading the whole chapter because I want you to pay attention to the language that's used, right? Paul, he he pulls out all the stops in this chapter as he describes spiritual life, right? Life in the church. So let's hit it. Ephesians 1, starting in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding, He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In Him we were also chosen. We're almost there. We're going to get get through it. Verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which you have... He has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That's a beautiful chapter right there. He, uh, he used the word lavished in that chapter. Paul is dropping bombs in this chapter. It's like, it's poetic. He's like, I'm not much for writing psalms, but I'm going to give it a try here, right? So, so Ephesians 1 is like, it's eloquent, it's spiritual, it's uplifting. It's, it's really a kind of a picture of the perfect godly scenario. It is, in many ways, the ideal life, the ideal spiritual experience, right? He's saying, we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We are chosen, we are predestined. It was God's pleasure to adopt us. He's bringing unity to all things in the midst of it. I give thanks for you every time I think of you, right? What a sweetheart Paul is writing to this church. I just love you guys. We have this glorious inheritance. It's all by God's power and all by God's authority forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen and amen and amen. And you're like, Paul, let's go, bro. But let's continue on. Because if this is the ideal, the tone changes here. Ephesians 2.1. So we've got all that flowery language, right? Right? Uh, uh, Lavished, right? It's the lavished chapter. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. We're like, okay then. We just changed course a little bit. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. What just happened? What happened to lavished? What happened to the ideal spiritual situation? We're all brothers and sisters, and I pray and thank God every time I think of you. Well, what happened is the tension between the ideal and what's real. See, what's real is that there's competition for your heart and for your mind and for your soul. There's another force at work. It's your flesh. It's this combination of Satan and your sinful nature working in direct opposition to what is ideal. Ideal in our lives, ideal in our families, ideal in our marriages, ideal in our children. Saying this is how the world lives. This is how you would have lived on your own. This is how some of us did live when left to ourselves, right? And and, and in that sin, we're under God's wrath and deserving of separation and punishment. This is basically the difference between how Genesis 1 finishes up with it was good and how Genesis 3 finishes up with them getting banished from the garden and punished because of their sin, right? This is the difference between the ideal, perfection, beauty, God's design, all for God's glory versus the real, The fact that all of us fall short of that ideal. And so again, we have our ideal. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father, Lord Jesus. He's blessed us in the heavenly realms. That's an ideal situation, an ideal chapter. And then we have what's real in 2, 3, saying we're all deserving of wrath. So how do we navigate that space between the ideal spiritual scenario, the ideal within the body of Christ, the ideal within our lives and our families and the real? Well, the more important question is, how does God navigate that space between? Let's continue on, because just as quickly as the tone changed going from chapter 1 into chapter 2, the tone changes again in verse 4. So we're all deserving of wrath. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions because it's by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ Seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from ourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. What we have is what's real, and what we have is what's ideal and in between the miracle of God's grace. And this was commonly expressed throughout Jesus' life. Go read the Sermon on the Mount. Go read Matthew 19 when he talks about marriage. Go see how he interacts with the adulterous woman. All throughout his ministry, he's saying, I'm calling you to this, and I'm calling you to that. I'm raising the bar here. I want you to take up your cross there. And there's spots where he's like, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you guys. There's only one way, and I'm it. And, and so you kind of find yourself, okay, Jesus, well, you're kind of calling us to a difficult, difficult path here. It's a difficult road. How, how are you gonna handle Jesus? How are you gonna handle all these people that you've called to a difficult road who are all falling short of the ideal you're calling them to? And Jesus goes, Well, I think I'm gonna have to just go ahead and die for them. I'm going to have to sacrificially love them. I'm going to have to go ahead and give up whatever I have to give up to close that gap between what is ideal and what is the real that they're living in. And what we see throughout Scripture, what we see throughout Jesus' life and ministry is that whenever there is a gap between the real and the ideal, God fills it with His grace. So let's go back to parenting now. Let's go back to our our real lives, right? The influence we have over our kids, over our nieces and nephews, over our grandchildren, over the kids in our class, the kids that we babysit, the the neighbors that we come in contact to, the the guy at the office that we've been given some influence over. How how do we take this example of Christ and put it into life? Well, first one, and, and I almost skipped over this because it's not specific to what we're talking about. It is so huge when it comes to parenting or anything else. First thing is you've got to pray, right? We, we did a series back in August establishing the fact prayer works, prayer works. And so when we're figuring out how to raise kids and influence our grandkids and others that have been brought under our care in life, we have to cover that. This, this life is such a long road, and there are pressures and twists and turns. It's tough for kids. It's tough for parents in the 21st century. Cover your family. Cover those you love in prayer. That's the first thing. Second thing, I think we just need to take a script out of Jesus' book, and we need to show them what's real. We need to show them what's ideal. And then we need to show them grace between the, the real and the ideal. I want, I want to break that down a little bit. What's real? If we're showing them what's real. What's real? Well, who are you? Mom, dad, aunt, uncle, grandpa, who, who are you? How did you grow up? In your life, where have you won? Where have you lost? Where have you succeeded? Where have you failed? What has God meant in your life? What has God meant in the life of your family? These are conversations to have with your kids as you're raising them so that they know who you are, what your family is about. What are we experiencing right now in this family, right? This is what our family is. Here's the reasons why our family is this way. Here are the decisions that led to the life that we're experiencing right now. Here are the strengths of our family. Here are the weaknesses of our family. Here's the family tree stuff you needed to know about. Maybe it's traditions. Maybe it's generational struggles that are getting passed down to say, hey, bud, I know you're struggling with this. Dad struggled with this. Dad's dad struggled with this. My grandpa struggled. Like, these are things being passed down so that they understand the real that they are living in within your family. Beyond just your family, how how does the world work, right? How is the world Living. How does the world think? How does the world operate? How does the world define success and failure and right and wrong? Here are, hey, hey, kids. Here are some of the realities that other families are experiencing. I know this kid at school is being a real jerk. It's possible that his real looks like this. What are other families experiencing? What are, what are some of the realities and consequences of the choices that people make out in the real world? What are some of the realities? And consequences that you are experiencing because of choices that you've made. This is what's real about me. This is what's real about you. This is what's real about us as a family. This is what's real about the world that we live in. Don't be afraid of what's real. Don't be afraid to define for them what's real. But we also need to show them what's ideal. Well, what's ideal? Well, what, is, what does God want for a family? What has he called us to. How has he designed it to operate? What does God want for each person? What does it look like in a healthy marriage? What does a healthy parent-child relationship look like? What what does it look like to have healthy finances and healthy priorities, to have a healthy work-rest balance? What does it look like to have a healthy schedule in your life? What does it look like to argue with someone you love God's way? What does it look like to apologize and forgive God's way? got to tell them, what are you shooting for, right? Don't be afraid of what God has laid out as ideal. Certainly, we all fall short of that in some way, but we can't be afraid to tell them. You can tell them that marriage is for life even if you've experienced something different. You can tell them that sex was designed for marriage, even if you've pushed the limits of that design. You can tell them that God calls us to be sacrificial and generous, even if you've struggled with that. You can tell them that your body is a temple, even if you haven't always treated yours like one, right? Just because we fall short of the ideal doesn't mean God doesn't have one. doesn't mean he doesn't have something that he's calling us to, something beautiful for us in that ideal. And in some ways, show them a model, Show them a model. Show them examples in Scripture of, of, uh, that God gives us of truth and the ideal. And of course, do your best to be the best person and parent and neighbor and employee and boss and believer that you want them to become. But this gets a little bit difficult sometimes because what if you can't show them? What if you can't? What if you want to show them an ideal family, an ideal marriage, and yet you've lived through divorce? What if you're raising them as a single parent? What if in some way you've already driven a wedge between you and your kids somehow? Well, I would say in those situations, yeah, maybe your life, maybe the family that they're growing up in falls short of the ideal, but put them in a position to see something closer to the ideal somewhere else. There's no no shame in giving them a picture somewhere else. We do it everywhere else in our lives, right? At some point, our kids grow out of our ability to coach them Or teach them or counsel them, right? At some point, you got to find someone else who can teach them algebra too. Just not getting it, kid. Sorry, I I can't help you. At some point, you got to teach, someone else maybe needs to teach your kid how to throw a slider, right? At some point, we entrust our kids to someone else's coaching, someone else's example. And so if you don't have the ability to show them what the ideal looks like, Set up playdates in homes with families that are a little bit closer to the ideal than you. That's okay. Give them that picture. When you're out and about, point to a dad or a mom or a family and say, isn't that cool? I know I am not giving you that picture, but that's what I want for you. I want you to experience that. Did you see how they interact? Did you see that moment there? That was awesome. I want that for you. And in some cases, I think it's important there are some families that need a little bit of professional counseling to maybe say, all right, let's talk this through. Maybe it's for them, maybe it's for you, maybe it's together, but to be able to say, all right, we're not experiencing the ideal for whatever reason. I know we fall short of that, but here's, here's some steps we can take to get a little bit closer to what the ideal is and the way God has designed it and what he wants for us don't be afraid to show them and tell them what is ideal, even in the midst of showing them what's real. So there's the third one. There's the grace aspect between those two things. How do we show them grace when we fall short, when they fall short, when we're just not sure what it looks like? And I think there's a lot of different aspects of this grace thing, but one specifically I want to highlight this morning is this. I think that as parents... We need to parent based on their needs and not based on our fears. We need to parent based on their needs, not our fears. Because we respond uh, to things and make decisions very differently when we're basing it on fears versus their needs. Right. So on one side, respond to their failures the way they need you to respond Not to avoid experiencing your biggest fear. So how often do we choose not to discipline, not to tell them the truth, not to hold them accountable, even though that's what they need? Because we're afraid that they'll respond to that discipline by rebelling or pulling away, being mad, not liking you, right? And then on the flip side, how often do we come down a little bit too hard and not give them an opportunity to experience grace and learn from their mistakes and, and experience some patience? Even though that's exactly what they need at the time, because we're afraid that they'll grow up and lack discipline, make decisions and have irreversible consequences. It's a hard balance to find, but it's very important. Sometimes you learn as you go. Sometimes you get wisdom from others. Sometimes you just have to know your child and what they need in the moment. But we need to make decisions for them based on their need, not based on our biggest fear. Some other examples. We have this fear as parents, especially those of us who are parenting within a church context. I mean, uh, part of our ideal is seeing them grow up to follow Christ and experience all that there is. And we have this fear. They're going to grow up and they're going to have sex before marriage. Or at, at some point they're going to grow up and, and question their gender, their identity in some way. And we have this big fear. And we make very big decisions if we're living based on those fears. But what do they need? What they need is an understanding of healthy biblical sexuality. They need to understand how to be a godly man and a godly woman. Not held to a standard that culture says is masculine and feminine, but a biblical definition of what it means to be a man. And that's what they need. And we will make decisions very differently if we're basing it on their need and not on what we're afraid of. Some of us within the church world, we're afraid, man, they're going to grow up and reject the Bible and the six-day creation. They're going to become evolutionists. And they're going to follow all the science and stuff. But that's, that's our fear. What do they need? They need to know that God is the creator and originator, and he brought all things into existence. They need to know that humans who don't believe in God will always need some other explanation for life and some other definition of purpose. They need to know that science is not the enemy of faith. And we'll make decisions for them very differently if we're basing it on our fears or if we're basing it on what they need. Some of you, your kids are getting a little bit older, right? They're hitting... Late teens, college years, some of them are into their 20s already, and you've had this fear they're going to experience a failure to launch. They're always changing their mind. they got no plan, no direction. They're not going to be able to provide or start a family. Well, that's a fear. But what they need is to know that God has a beautiful plan and that His will is perfect. They need to know how to seek Him and keep Him first. They need to know that whatever you do, do it for His glory. They need to know how to live by faith and trust in Him for tomorrow. Very different when we're talking about fears versus what they need. The way we lead our kids, the way we interact as families, the way we influence our friends is going to be drastically different if we're making those decisions based on fear or based on what they really need. There's a lot of room for grace when it comes to what they need. When it comes to our fears, it usually plays out very differently. And Now keep in mind, what they need changes as they get older. Don't float through this parenting thing, right? Don't get caught off guard. I'm like, oh my gosh, they're how old? They're starting what next year? What life stage they're about to grow out of and into? Don't play catch up as a parent, right? And so, so we find ourselves, and you're, if you're not aware of where they're at and what their needs are, all of a sudden you have a seven-year-old experiencing the phone privileges of a teenager. Or you're giving the freedoms of a senior to a freshman, Or sometimes they hit 20 and you're influencing their decisions as a 20-year-old the same way you tried to influence them as a teenager. Or some of you have grown kids. Are you expecting your grown kids to have the same commitment to your traditions even though they're starting their own and having their own families getting going? You have to evolve. You have to learn as they learn and grow as they grow, mature as they mature. Their needs change. The problem is our fears change usually stay the same and we carry our fears with us and it affects how we make decisions and raise them and influence them we have to be aware that their needs change and our response to those needs have to be different there's way more room for grace when we're responding to needs instead of fears i'll close with this don't just give them grace give yourself some too Kids are resilient. They'll bounce back, right? They bounce when they're toddlers. They'll bounce when they're 20, right? It's amazing how many kids you meet when we were in our student ministries days. I'm sure Joe can tell you. There's kids who have had some really crappy parents, and they just love the heck out of them, right? Kids bounce back. They are resilient. Second thing, they're ultimately responsible for themselves. You don't own their soul. You don't own their salvation. You don't own their lives. Do your absolute best. Chase Jesus as consistently and fervently as you can and then put their future squarely in God's hands. That's the relationship that matters. And keep in mind, some of the most amazing people in the Bible had the worst parents in the Bible. Solomon's dad forced himself on Solomon's mom and then had her first husband killed and lied about it and then he did a horrible job raising his kids. Think about some of the issues Moses grew up with, right? Bouncing back and forth between his adopted family, which was super rich and famous, and his bio family, which was poor and kind of nothing, right? There's some issues bouncing forth. Joseph's dad played favorites and put Joseph in a horrible position. Boaz's mom, Rahab, I'll let you go read about her. (laughs) I know some of your parents are like, don't say it, don't you say it. Um, Jesus' parents almost got divorced before they were even married that's rough like try to do that (laughs) then they left him alone at church for three days when he was barely in middle school (laughs) that's rough Cain and Abel's parents got the family kicked out of paradise and pretty much ruined everything for everyone (laughs) hear this your shortcomings will not disqualify your kids from turning out awesome Your shortcomings, your real, will not disqualify your kids from experiencing something closer to the ideal. Show yourself some grace. There's a big gap between the ideal life and the ideal family and what most of us truly experience in reality. But in between those things, the answer is always a steady diet. Of grace. Let's pray. God, we're chasing you. We're, we're, we're doing our best. Um, certainly not perfect. We're not perfect parents. We're not perfect grandparents. We're not perfect bosses. We're not perfect influencers in any way. Um, and yet, God, we recognize you've called us to something amazing. You have something beautiful for us within the body of Christ, within a relationship with you. God, it is ideal times infinity and yet God our real falls very short of that but we know you know that already you know each of our realities you know what's waiting for us tomorrow morning at the office you know what's waiting for us at home after church you know what's waiting for us in class tomorrow morning God you know our real and so we simply ask that we would experience the beautiful gift that you came to offer between those things your grace God thank you for the gift of your grace that saves us through your son Jesus the gift of your grace that empowers us every day in the midst of our weaknesses, God, your grace that's been extended to us so that we can extend it to the next crew, to our kids, to our grandkids, to the neighbor kids. God, anyone you've brought into our life who just needs it, thanks for filling that space. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. Have a great afternoon. We'll see you next week.